Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s. I'm Carrie. And I'm Joe. Please remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just a bloke and a bird talking about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Have we used that one before, Carrie? I don't know, Joe. Please don't ask me. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible we did. Maybe we were talking about British music, but I put it in here this week because I am welcoming you to the podcast, and I'm welcoming you back to our fair country, the USA. Um, You just stepped foot back on the soil yesterday, right? Yes, indeed. I'm still jet-lagged, and I think you can Mm -hmm. hear I have caught a nasty cold. It's not COVID. I had to test negative to get back into the country, and I've tested myself again. It's just a nasty cold. I catch one of those every single time I travel, but thankfully this time it didn't show up until the absolute last day of my trip, so that was wonderful. Yeah, that is a blessing. I mean, the blessing would be not to get sick at all, but you <laughs> know, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> this is nice, too. Well, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to our listeners as well. Thank you for putting up with our break. Carrie, I feel like you and I haven't done this in three weeks. Is that right? I don't even know. It feels like a lifetime ago. Don't ask Carrie about time. <laughs> I, I r- truly do not. Or sound. <laughs> Should we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in, I'm here right now, but let's get it, yeah. let's get it done with because I'm fading Okay, past. so here's the thing. Normally, I tell you, the listeners, where people are listening from. But Carrie, I would like you to say hello to these people. Yes, hello to our loyal listeners in Cardiff, Wales. Killarney, Ireland, and Gretna Green, Scotland. Some of the places I visited. You could have said hi to him in person. Yeah, I did. I ran through the streets screaming. <laughs> did you take our stickers? I did not take any stickers. You didn't take our stickers? No. Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. It's all about branding. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But yeah, hello to all those folks and hello to everyone else. Everyone keep up with us on our Facebook at facebook.com slash HRT80S and on Twitter at HRT80S. Carrie, this is normally the time where we would talk about tidbits, but there's so much that happened in the last two to three weeks, let's just say, since we last (laughs) recorded. We're just going to turn it into its own segment and it's called Revenge of the Tidbits. I love it. There's a lot to cover, and I'm excited to get into it. Catching up with the bids that are tid. (laughs) All right, Joe. Well, let's start with Stranger Things, which, of course, is the big news, and everyone has heard by now. But let's set the stage. Where are you at in the Stranger Things watch? Okay, so there's seven episodes in this newest Mm -hmm. season, part one. Last night, I finally finished episode five. I tried, Carrie. I really tried to watch everything in the last week, but Mm -hmm. there's just too much going on. Yes, I agree. I mean, TV-wise, not in my life. Like, There's just too much TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I was able to watch all seven episodes. First of all, I had a head start, I think. They came out Friday morning for me, I think, which was like, you know, the middle of the night here anyways. Downloaded them all right away and watched most of them on a bus traveling from different places. I had a lot of bus time on this trip. So that was the only reason I was really able to get them all in. So it had nothing to do with you watching one and thinking immediately, I have to watch the next one. No, 
I mean, I liked them. I was compelled to watch them, but I was only watching them because I was just sitting on a bus without anything else to do. I wasn't taking any time away from my vacation to watch Stranger Things, I'll tell you that much. So, <laughs> um, But yes, the big news is Kate Bush's song, Running Up That Hill, features very prominently in the season, and we won't say how or why in case anybody hasn't watched, but again, this has been all over, so if you haven't heard this so far, where have you been hiding? The song immediately went to number one on the global iTunes chart. That's for paid downloads. And it was number four on Apple's Music's global top 100. And the album it comes from, Hounds of Love, classic, was even all the way at number two on the iTunes pop albums chart. Exciting. I mean, this is exciting stuff, Joe, for Kate Bush. You hear, oh, this song is in a show, and you're like, oh, great. Maybe it plays on the credits. But, I mean, it really does factor into the plot of the season, like, in a huge way. And I liked that they had the actual cassette. Like, I saw it by Max's nightstand, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I have that one. It's a big deal. I had even said to you before the season even dropped that Winona Ryder was wearing a Kate Bush button at the... Um, at the premiere and talked about how even though the song was prominently featured and that's kind of why she was wearing it she was a huge Kate Bush fan and had been so she doesn't license her music out that often like this is a pretty big deal for her Um, and you know she said in interviews that she read about what was going to happen and she was like we love the show I'd love for you to use this song and gave her permission so that was awesome Did you see the other? I didn't put in the tidbits, so maybe I should have given you a heads up. But the character in season four that people talk about, Eddie. Yes. Yep. The metal guy Mm -hmm. is wearing throughout the show a jean jacket and on the back is a giant Dio patch. I didn't notice that, but I read an article, the Vulture's wrap up of pop culture notes from Stranger Things. Well, apparently Ronnie James Dio's widow gave them the patch to use in the show. Oh. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard what Kate Bush has said about this. Kate Bush is alive. She's out there. But in all of these stories about it, have you seen any where she's been reached and commented on this? No, no, I haven't. But she's so reclusive. I'm not really that surprised. I guess you're right. So kind of in the same vein as Running Up That Hill, there's some other news because there's another 80s song flying up the iTunes chart. Kenny Loggins was at number six this week with Danger Zone because of the Top Gun sequel. Meanwhile, Lady Gaga's Top Gun song was at number two. Wow, I didn't realize that. Do you have any plans to see the new Top Gun movie? Um, You know, I think I will eventually. I'm not banging down my door to get to it, but I've actually heard that it's it's okay. So I'm interested to see what they do with the story. I mean, I'm hearing stories about people who are like, crying, cheering, oh my God. like standing ovations, like it's just totally nuts. So I think I will eventually watch it. But I mean, it took me, you know, 30 years to watch the first one. So yeah, maybe when I'm 73, <laughs> I'll watch this one. Yeah, well, I had read that Top Gun, the original movie was the most streamed thing streamed, this yeah. week. Yeah, because people yeah. were And we watched ready. it recently. So mm-hmm. you know, the movie was delayed, like it's been done forever, yeah, right? Exactly. And delayed and because of special effects and then delayed because of COVID. You know, Kenny Loggins was originally going like he recorded an updated version of the song Danger Zone. Oh, and they were going to use that. And then at some point during this long process, I think Tom Cruise was like, no, we're just going to use the original. Wow. Okay. 
it's interesting we're talking about charts. We'll see whether running up that hill appears on the actual billboard chart, which comes out on Tuesday. Is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll see if she can make it any higher than number 30, which was her original peak. According to Billboard, they think she has a shot. But of course, they measure radio airplay. But Joe, I have breaking news Mm. because the UK charts come out on Friday. And guess where she is on the UK chart? Don't. I would never guess number one. I I wouldn't. (laughs) No, it's not number one, but it's number eight. Oh, my God. That's huge. That's That's really big. I love it. I love it. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, and now I'm opening up what her peak what the history placement was, was in 1985. It, yeah. uh, she went to number three in 1985. And then I'm seeing that she charted again with it in 2012 and went to number six. I think that's when she sang at the Olympics, the UK Olympics. I think you're right. Gosh, wow, that is so great. I, she's, I hope it gets higher than 30. I think she has a real shot. If you were a radio programmer, like you should just be playing this this week. I you know, know for sure. Why wouldn't you? You know, mm-hmm. the young people like it because of the show, and then if older people are listening it, you know they liked it then. Hopefully, absolutely. All right, moving on. You have some more music movie news for us, Joe. I do. Did we um ever mention the new George Michael documentary? think so i honestly had never heard about this before oh yeah well there's one coming out this month that apparently is narrated and co-directed by george michael himself so i mean obviously he had it in the works before he passed but i've got tickets to see it on opening night june 22nd and we'll have a mini review that's exciting I think that's a one-night-only affair, June 22nd, showing across the country. Maybe it'll play longer in certain cities, but check your local listings to see if it's playing near you on June 22nd. Do you think I should wear my Wham! t-shirt? Absolutely, you should. (laughs) Okay. I'm really interested to see this. I like that it's from his point of view. I'm interested to see what George had to say. Yeah. And then you don't need tickets to see the new Ray Parker Jr. documentary. That one is out digitally next week, and it's called Who You Gonna Call? (laughs) Wow. According to the trailer, there will be a lot of his studio work in the 70s highlighted when he worked with people like Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, and Marvin Gaye. Thanks to listener Peter for keeping us informed about those two documentaries. Joe, I will not be watching. I knew the you Ray were going to say that. Junior documentary. I would see it. He's an easy target. Yeah. But when you think about his pre-Ghostbusters stuff, there's some good stuff there in You're the seventies right. and early eighties. It's just it's unfortunate that one of the first songs I heard besides Ghostbusters was the other woman's song, and it's just so gross, you know. Yeah, there's not a song by Radio that I think I do <gasps> like. I think they're all gross. Ah, uh, what about a woman needs love? <laughs> Shut up! Oh God. I would probably watch the first hour or so, I guess, to see this about his 70s work, but then turn it off after that, maybe. They better say why Terry Gar was in the video for Ghostbusters. <laughs> it don't make no sense. <sighs> Nothing about Ghostbusters makes any sense. <laughs> oh, here's another thing that slipped in under the radar. Last year, we talked about Bruce Hornsby putting out a new album, and he has a new one out already. That's crazy. Who did he work with on his last album? I remember when we talked about it. The one before, I think it was the lead singer of The Shins. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is who it is. He did some music there. And on this one, he's got a song with Danielle Haim, 
of the band Heim, and Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend. Wow. That's pretty huge. People love Bruce Hornsby. He's a real musician's musician, I think. Yeah, I'm going to have to check this out. I meant to listen to it. But again, there's just not enough time in the day to consume all this media. Absolutely. I want to check that out, too. I'm going to make a note. Bruce Mm -hmm. Hornsby. And here's a sad tidbit. R.I.P. to Cindy Lauper's mom, Katrine. Mm -hmm. Of course, everyone knows her. She was in the videos for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the Goonies song, and Time After Time, which funny tidbit about Time After Time. (laughs) We gotta wait. Yours is at the end. Okay. <laughs> Remind me to include that in our roundup. But yes, um, she passed away this week, Cindy Lauper's mom. That's sad. Yeah, and if you follow Cindy on like Instagram or anything, she was always posting pictures with her and her mom at different events. She liked to include her in all kinds of stuff, even some recent ones. I know they had a really strong connection and we're grieving with you, Cindy. Very cool that she kept up with her mom over the years and kept her in the limelight. That's awesome. Carrie, do you ever listen to Song Exploder, the podcast? Um, I think I used to back in the day. I haven't in quite some time. Yeah. They even made a show out of it on Netflix, yeah, right. but yeah. it's where they take a song and the creator, usually the, you know, musician or singer, songwriter, is interviewed and talks about how they made the song, the process. Sometimes they bring in some people from the studio, like the producer or collaborators. And there's a new one out, and it's all about Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. And you can download it and listen to Rick Astley himself talk about the making of it. And they bring in Mike Stock to be interviewed as well of Stock Aiken Waterman. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. I'm interested to hear about how that came about. And maybe it'll give us more insight into Stock, Aiken, Waterman in general, since a lot of those songs sound the same. (laughs) (laughs) What if he even like mentions it and why? That'd be cool. Yeah, he probably does. Well, Joe, that leads us into our mega tidbit, which is just kind of a review of all of the 80s things that happened on my trip, because there was a channel that I kept finding in several of the hotel rooms that we stayed in. How many different hotels did you stay in? Well, the trip was like 12 or 13 nights, and you know we never stayed in a place more than two nights. This was on a tour. This was not something that my husband and I organized ourselves So at least eight or nine different hotel rooms, I believe. Crazy. Yes. And we started in London. We went through Wales, then across the sea to Ireland, spent a good week in Ireland, then back across the sea, went up into Scotland, and then back down into England. So did a whole big tour of the United Kingdom. And yeah, it was wonderful. But getting back, yes, so in several of the hotel rooms, there was a channel called Now That's What I Call 80s, an entire channel devoted to 80s music videos, um, you know, much like classic MTV here or whatever they call that now. And they had very cool shows on. And one of the shows that I watched one evening as I was getting ready for bed was Rick Astley versus Jason Donovan where they just literally showed all of the videos of Rick Astley and Jason Donovan. I mean, no contest, right? (laughs) I know. Who was determined the winner? 
it was just the videos. There was no like through line of like, oh, and this one was better than this one. It was just showing the videos back to back. There would be if I watched it. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, it was kind of funny. I think I texted you at the time that watching these videos back to back to back, it's kind of like, wow, these songs sound alike. Very alike, right? Because Jason Donovan was a stock Aiken Waterman production as well. It's crazy that they were putting out music at the same time. Oh, hey, I forgot to mention, and maybe you saw this headline, but did you see that Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan are returning to the soap opera Neighbors for a bit? Because it's ending. So they're just coming on probably just for a few scenes, I would guess. I did not see that. That's cute. That's nice of them. Yeah, lovely. So, yeah, some other specials that I saw on this channel was one was some British presenters' top 40 guilty pleasures. Then I saw where they were just playing, you know, now that's what I call music was a series of albums that started in the 80s that were released in the UK, and now they release them here in the States as well. But they were like a collection of the biggest songs of the time. Um, One morning, they were just showing, like, literally, they were playing the songs from Now 6, I think it was, which was released in 1986. And it was just one banger after another. I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. It was Big Country, Look Away. There was something by Midge Ure in there. Great songs, one after the other. I got to get that channel somehow. What's that (laughs) device you use? You have to use like a... VPN or trick something. Trick them to think yeah. that you're in the UK. Yeah. But in addition to this, now that's what they call 80s channel, there was another channel that was called This TV. They would show blocks of uh, music videos, one called This is the 80s. Saw a bunch of cute videos on there. And that's when we saw Time After Time. I was in the shower and Nick called out to me. He said... I don't know if this man is supposed to be her dad or her boyfriend in this video. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to see what video he's talking about. And then I came out and it was Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. I was like, that's her boyfriend, Nick. <laughs> I don't know what. He did look old, though. <laughs> that's true. But I guess he missed the um, whole first part of the video when they're like snuggled up in bed together. Or at least I hope you missed that part. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's just say it. That's the case. <laughs> yeah. I never got to a record store. I tried to go to a used vinyl shop one time and it was closed. Just didn't have too much time. In Dublin, there was a cool shop that had a bunch of 80s pins and magnets and cards and stuff. Oh, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, well, I told you I wasn't going to show them to you because I'm going to have to pick out which ones uh, are going to be gifts and which one I'm going to keep for myself. Oh, my God. That was fun. And the last big 80s related thing was on our last night when we were back in London before we headed home yesterday... We went to see Back to the Future, the musical. I don't know what I was expecting. I think I deliberately did not look up anything about this because I wanted to be surprised. And I think in the back of my mind, I had thought it was like a jukebox musical where they were going to 
you know, use songs like Power of Love and maybe other 80s songs they were going to use. That makes sense. Yeah, that was not the case. Not the case, <laughs> um, yeah. It was all original songs that they had written. It was literally just the plot of the movie, but then with original songs added. Uh, these songs were not great. I just, I'm trying mm. to think of them now, and there was ju- there was just not one that even stood out. Was to there me. one called Enchantment Under the Sea? <laughs> no. <laughs> the only one that I even remember at all that they played a couple of times was about, like, this is for the dreamers. Doc Brown sings, you know, when they're talking uh. about time travel or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, it was just, it was not great. Not a good review from me. Did it seem like the audience besides you was enjoying it? Yes, it did, which I was kind of like, all right, I'm not a musical critic, but I didn't think the songs were good, period, like for a musical. You know, I like musicals just fine. I don't dislike them. And I get that that's what the point of the musical is, is they tell the plot through the songs. But I just didn't think the songs were good. But everybody else seemed to be having a great time. I will say this, though. You could tell it was people that loved the movie and were just wanting to watch the movie again because there was lots of people that were like saying the lines before they were even saying them in the in the. That's musical. annoying. Yeah, and like I said, it really was just a direct like recreation of the movie itself. So people were cheering. So I actually had that thought to myself: like, if you had never seen the movie Back to the Future and then you went to go see this. I don't think you would actually be rooting for these characters because they don't really develop the characters very well. Like, you have to have some vested interest in these people before you show up to the theater to see this. How do they do the car? How do they get it going 88 miles on stage? And actually, that was the best part about it, was there was a lot of cool scenic design or whatever where the stage would move, and so it would look like the car was moving, but it was actually the stage turning around. They did things where they had like something that dropped in front of the stage, and then they were projecting things on that. Specifically, I'm remembering now at the end when Doc Brown is like going up the clock tower to fix the connection the stairs are projected on the screen and he's just walking on the stage but turning back and forth so it looks like he's walking upstairs it's hard to describe but it was very well done production design and scenic design and stuff like that and at one point the car even goes up in the air and blah 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 so that stuff was Mm. cool but overall it's a miss from me what did nick think did he like it Um, I think he liked it just fine, but he doesn't really care for musicals, period. So he wasn't like uh, raving about it either. He was like, oh, it was fine. So there you go. But I had a wonderful trip overall. I mean, I cannot stress enough to everybody. The country of Ireland is beautiful. Just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. One of the most beautiful. Not the (laughs) most. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to Hmm. say. It's up there. It's way up there. So yeah, I would gladly go back and spend a lot more time in Ireland. We spent a day in the Lakes District in England. That was definitely one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life as well. So many wonderful places. We were in Edinburgh, Scotland for a couple days. It was very cool. Didn't get enough time there. So even though we were there for like two weeks, there's still a lot more things I'd love to see. So I'll be back there one day, hopefully. I'm sure you will. Yeah. That's the end of the tidbit. Revenge of the Tidbits segment. Yeah. We do have another segment. 
Not a cute name for it. We are just going to talk about the solo releases from Fleetwood Mac members in the 80s. And there's not a real specific reason for doing this now, but Fleetwood Mac is always in the news for one reason or another, whether it's their Lindsey Buckingham drama or news about Stevie Nicks touring solo. And then remember, dreams went viral on TikTok. What was that guy drinking? Apple juice? Grape juice. (laughs) Apple juice? Orange juice. Cranberry juice. <laughs> Cranberry juice. Oh, my <laughs> you gosh. You threw all of the juices except the one. All was. the juices. Well, since Carrie was on vacation and I had to step up and write an outline for once in my damn life, I went with this topic. I've had it in my back pocket for a while. And I figured, I think everyone is a Fleetwood Mac fan. But how does everyone feel about the solo releases from Fleetwood Mac members in the 80s? Mm. Carrie, we're going to start alphabetically. We don't want any bruised egos because Fleetwood Mac is a sensitive bunch. So we'll start with Lindsey Buckingham. He put out two solo songs that hit the top 40 of the Hot 100 in the 80s. So his first solo album was titled Law and Order. And that was released in October 1981. Buckingham played almost all the instruments himself with a couple of notable exceptions. Mick Fleetwood played drums on the song Trouble, and George Hawkins played bass on the same song. Christine McVie also did some harmonies on one of the songs on that album, so I guess they were all still in a collaborative mood. Trouble was the first single, and it peaked at number 9 on the Hot 100, and it went to number 1 in Australia for an impressive three weeks. Carrie, this is one of my favorite songs of the 80s. Did you know that? I did not know that it was one of your favorites, but I like it too. I talk a lot about the 80s playlists that we started way back when, when we first started getting into 80s music, and Trouble was one of the very first songs that went on there. Definitely interesting. An underrated hit from Lindsay Buckingham. It is. I sent you a song about three years ago when I was rediscovering the song Trouble. There's a song by the band Rilo Kylie. That sounds just like this. It sounds very similar. It's a song called Dream World. But the other thing I find interesting is that Rilo Kylie is another group with male and female vocalists and songwriters, and they trade off lead vocal duties. And I feel like the guy who sings Dream World is like the Lindsey Buckingham of that group because he's Mm. outshined by Jenny Lewis. You're right. This is a very good comparison, Joe. You should write a thesis on it. If I don't do that, I'll at least put a clip of Dream World here. Okay. Very similar. One other single from the album was released in the U.S. It's a song called It Wasn't I, but that one only hit the bubbling under chart. It peaked at 110. And of course, we can't forget his contribution to the National Lampoon's Vacation soundtrack. Holiday Road went to number 82. Do you like that one, Carrie? I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. And what's happened now is that whenever it plays, 
Now my dog Casey barks at the end at the dog that's barking at the end of the song. (laughs) So I have another reason to dislike it. The song drives me nuts. Absolutely nuts. Did you know he had another song in the movie and on the soundtrack? I did not know that. And so when I heard this one on the playlist, I was like, what is this? It's not great. Yeah, not good. And it's called Dancing in the USA. I think you got to bump up the beats per minute if you're going to have a song with dancing and the title. Like, what dancing could you do to this song? Nothing. Yeah, very good point. This is an old white man dancing in the USA. (laughs) (laughs) It needs some vivarin. Yeah, I didn't know his first album was called Law and Order. I completely missed that. What a weird name for an album. (laughs) He's weird. Yeah. Well, his second solo album was released in 1984, shortly after the end of his seven-year relationship with model Carol Ann Harris, and that one was titled Go Insane. Lindsay later said the title track was about his breakup with Stevie Nicks, but Harris wrote a whole-ass book about her relationship with Lindsay, and in it, she says that song was really about her. Okay, ladies. A lot of drama for a song that only peaked at number 23, but go off, I guess. Slow Dancing was the second single, and it only went to number 106 on the Bubbling Under. slow dancing i like it a lot i do too it should have been higher than 106 right and so answer this like why is the song called slow dancing faster (laughs) than the song called dancing across the usa make it make sense yeah absolutely these would be some good records to buy or find you know used add lindsey buckingham's to my list of albums i want to listen to in full to give them a spin yeah i gotta put them on the list Lindsay was much more embracing the synths. He was very into that and kind of like you could tell he was trying to mix in the sort of uh, new wave style with rock with uh, slow dancing. But I really like it. I do too. Trouble, I think, is the best of the bunch. But who knows? Maybe on the albums, there's going to be some songs that top that. Yeah. So that concludes the section on Lindsay's solo releases from the 80s, but he also performed on We Are the World, and he co-wrote a song for Belinda Carlisle's debut solo album. So I guess he could relate to someone that wanted to break away from a band full of egos. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You know what I found really interesting, though, and we'll get into this more when we talk about McFleetwood, is that George Hawkins, he was in Fleetwood Mac in the 70s. I didn't know that name, and it wasn't highlighted. I didn't know that either. I looked it up when I was looking, because I was dying to know who was singing on some of these songs, so I I looked up the credits. 
But yeah, I just find it very interesting that for as many problems as Fleetwood Mac had, they couldn't get away from each other. Right. I know. Lindsay's doing a solo album, but Mick and Christine are there. And even George Hawkins, you know, I'm sure he was connected through Mick Fleetwood. And it's just kind of like, all right, you know, if you all hated each other so much or, you know, had such problems and drama, then find somebody else to play music with. Right. It's like when you have a friend who's like always complaining about people and then they just keep (laughs) hanging out with them. Like, I don't want to hear it anymore. If I open up a People magazine (laughs) and see more drama between Fleetwood Mac, no. Well, next up is Mick Fleetwood, who was the drummer and co-founder of Fleetwood Mac. He put out a solo album, solo is in quotes, in 1981 called The Visitor. However, most vocals were performed by George Hawkins, and that album included two new versions of two songs that had already appeared on Fleetwood Mac albums, Walk a Thin Line and Rattlesnake Shake. Rattlesnake Shake went to number 30 on the mainstream rock chart. I mean, what's up with McFleetwood, too? So he's doing a solo album, but he's doing songs from... Old Fleetwood yeah. songs. And that, um, the second one, Walk a Thin Line, it wasn't a single, but it's from Rumors. Either Rumors or Tusk. I can't remember which. But anyways, anybody that was a Fleetwood Mac fan would have known of that song, and probably even mm-hmm. people that weren't, since that album was huge. Just kind of like, get some new material. <laughs> right. Rattlesnake Shake, I totally can understand why that made it on the mainstream rock chart. Oh, yeah. But it sounds like ZZ Top, doesn't it? That's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> it sounded like to me. And that's when I was yeah. dying to figure out who it was that was singing. Because I was like, this isn't Mick Fleetwood singing. And it's this George Hawkins. He sounds like he could be in ZZ Top. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, Mick followed that up with I'm Not Me in 1983, and but this one's credited to Mick Fleetwood's Zoo, and Christine McVie and Lindsay Buckingham helped out on this one, as well as singer Billy Burnett, who had a Hot 100 hit in 1980 with the song Don't Say No. Do you know that one, Carrie? You know, I know I do know it, but I couldn't sing it for you right now. It's real jangly, and then the chorus ends with like, don't say no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that helpful? (laughs) It is a little bit. I like it. You know what? I think I always get him confused with Rocky Burnett. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said that. Okay. So (laughs) Billy Burnett would eventually join Fleetwood Mac, replacing Buckingham in 1987. Oh, spoiler alert. Lindsay Buckingham quits Fleetwood Mac in 1987. And then I put a side note here that said, I thought Billy Burnett and Rocky Burnett were the same person until just this moment. But they were actually cousins. I didn't even know they were cousins. (laughs) Yeah. So like Rocky Burnett sings Tired of Toe in the Line, right? Yes. Yep. So his dad was a famous rockabilly musician, Mm -hmm, right? Yep. And then he was in a band with his brother. And so Billy Burnett is the son of that brother. Yep. Okay. Got it. Got it. So this whole time, I I knew that Billy Burnett joined Fleetwood Mac. I think I may have once said or told somebody like, oh, this guy singing Tired of Toe in the Line eventually joined Fleetwood Mac. Ooh, oh, interesting. Sorry. 
Okay, so the single from that album was I Want You Back, which was not a Jackson 5 cover. We do play that one on the attic. Carrie, have you heard it? Yeah, I actually like this one a lot, but it sounds kind of like a, you know, Fleetwood Mac B-side, you know, because both Christine and Lindsay singing backing vocals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it, but did not hit the top 40. So, so far we've got zero top 40 hits for Mick Fleetwood, unfortunately. Oh, I want to quickly point out that Mick Fleetwood appeared in the 1987 film The Running Man as well as several episodes of the television series Wise Guy. Mm. Uh, And he's been a member of Fleetwood Mac for 54 years, and he's the only band member that's been in the band for its entire history. So that's very impressive. Absolutely. I think, you know, definitely people that are fans of Fleetwood Mac know that Mick Fleetwood is sort of the man behind the scenes. He's the underrated member. But obviously, these other people we're talking about, Lindsay and Stevie and Christine, are kind of like the big faces of Fleetwood Mac. Well, we are up to Christine McVie, the unsung hero of Fleetwood Mac, which was actually the subject of a 2019 documentary by the BBC called Fleetwood Mac's Songbird. Have you seen this? I have not. No, but it sounds very interesting. I need to find this on YouTube or something. I'll let you borrow my VPN. (laughs) Well, McVie says, I could no more do twirls and chiffon than Stevie could do blues on the piano. You know what? Very true. Two completely different ladies in their style and presentation, but both treasures. Exactly. How did McVie fare on the charts with her solo work in the 80s? Well, in 1984, she released her second solo album. The first was released way back in 1970. And this self-titled album featured two top 40 hits. Got a Hold On Me peaked at number 10 on the Hot 100 and went to number one on the adult contemporary and mainstream rock charts. That one had Lindsay on guitar and also Steve Winwood on synthesizers. And then her second single, Love Will Show Us How, went to number 30. I picked this one for a song that time forgot way back in episode something, something, something. (laughs) (laughs) I meant to change that. (laughs) It's all right. It's been a long time, folks. I think it was one of the first Mm -hmm. songs that time forgot. Yeah, that's what I remember. McVie was later quoted as saying about this album, maybe it wasn't the most adventurous album in the world, but I wanted to be honest and please my own ears with it. I have a confession to make. I got this one on vinyl. It's been at least a couple months, and I've never spun it. So this is one I definitely need to play on vinyl. Spin it for the songbird. (laughs) Yes. This one's for you, songbird. I love Christine McVie. Both of those singles, Got a Hold on Me and Love Will Show Us How, are just amazing. She doesn't get enough credit. She is the unsung Mm -hmm. hero of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. You know, she's not flashy like Stevie and Lindsay, but she is definitely just got the voice of an angel and the songwriting chops. Yeah, for sure. And I love that quote about her album. You know, Mm -hmm. 
she knew that I'm coming out with this album. Maybe it sounds like Fleetwood Mac songs, but you know, I'm in Fleetwood Mac. So what do you want from yeah. me? Yeah. And they are great songs, like you said. So I'm glad she put them out. I'm glad we have them. Yeah. Well, she didn't release another album in the 80s, but she did link up with another 80s superstar later in the decade. She sang with Christopher Cross on a song called Never Stop Believing from his 1988 album Back of My Mind. This one was cute. I had never heard this one before, but I like this one. I had not either. I also liked it. I thought this is, you know, this is his style. This is what he does. He's doing it well. She's jumps on. She's great too. But in 1988, I can see why maybe his star had started to fade a little bit. It could have been a 1980 song. Absolutely. Yeah, this doesn't fit in with other music that was hits in 88. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they seem like a good combo. I'm surprised that they didn't do more work together. Yeah, I would listen to this again. Carrie, we've got to discuss Stevie Nicks. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she had the most solo top 40 hits of all the Fleetwood Mac members. And although she went solo, she really was the duet queen for the first part of the decade. Her first appearance on the top 40 outside of the Mac was actually in 1978 with Kenny Loggins and their hit Whenever I Call You Friend, which peaked at number five. Then in 81, she was in the top 10 again. Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Leather and Lace with Don Henley. And that was also on my top, one of my top 40 of the 80s. Interesting. Trying to think if I had any Fleetwood Mac songs in my top 40. I think you did. It seems like I should have and did. Yeah. Well, those two songs were from the number one album, Belladonna, which also includes two more top 40 hits, Edge of 17 and After the Glitter Fades. Edge of 17, I think, is on the verge of being one of those fried songs. Is that what they call it? Burnt? Both of those. (laughs) Yeah. They're great, but people need to cool it with playing that. I agree. Absolutely. You didn't even mention either. She's got so many great songs from um, the late 70s that she did backing work on. Like she did one for Walter Egan. And she did one with that other guy from Fleetwood Mac (laughs) that left Fleetwood Mac. What was his name? I keep thinking Don McLean, but that's George not Hawkins. Nate. No, that's not right. Um, I remember that song, Gold. Is it that guy? Yes, that's the same guy. And then she does the same. No way. Song okay, give me a second. Stuart, John Stewart? Yes, yes, yes. Walter Egan, she worked with him on some songs. And then, yep, Gold with John Stewart. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Stevie's album Wild Heart was released in 1983 and included three more top 40 hits, Stand Back, If Anyone Falls, and Nightbird. Nightbird featured singer-songwriter Sandy Stewart, a friend of Stevie's, and those two wrote the song Seven Wonders for the Fleetwood Mac album Tango in the Night. Stevie was really cranking them out. She released another album called Rock a Little in 1985, It was not as successful as the first two, but it did produce two top 40 hits, Talk to Me and I Can't Wait. And she also hit the top 40 with a live duet with Tom Petty, Needles and Pins. Needles and Pins. 
Nobody remembers that live duet she did with Tom Petty, Needles and Pins. Yeah, I heard it recently, and Mm -hmm. I was like, have I heard this before? It's a cover, but it's good. Yeah, she had a lot of songs that were hitting between, like, maybe 20 and 40 that, you know, are much better than, like, what we were talking about, Edge of 17. I like Stand Back. I don't mind Stand Back. I feel like I hear Stand Back way more than Edge of 17, but I'm still not at that point where I'm tired of it. It's such a banger. Yeah. I want to hear If Anyone Falls. I want to hear I Can't Wait. You know, those are the ones that I really love hearing. Yeah, I don't think I've heard it enough. You could say that Stevie's the night bird and Christina's the songbird. Ooh, absolutely. There you go, Joe. Write a thesis about it. (laughs) That's two theses you have to write. (laughs) Well, Stevie's last appearance on the top 40 as a solo act was in 1989 with Rooms on Fire from the album The Other Side of the Mirror. Carrie, we talked about this in our segment about Rupert Hine, but I still don't think we have any idea what happened between those two. Maybe a ghost possession? Yeah, there's a very cryptic quote that Stevie has about something that happened in their relationship while they were recording that album. That's Stevie in for a castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder where that castle was. Oh my God. I wonder uh, if you I should have gone it. to that castle. <laughs> yeah, and broke the curse. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that is 11 top 40 hits for Stevie Nicks. Two for Christine McVie and two for Lindsay Buckingham and zero for McFleetwood and his zoo. They had a huge impact, though, on the charts in the 80s, you know, beyond Fleetwood Mac. This is a lot of hits. Right. I mean, we didn't even talk about their hits in the 80s, of which there were many. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. Um, Tango in the Night, I think. Gosh, I think that might be my favorite Fleetwood Mac album. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much, but I enjoy that one too. I mean, Seven Wonders is one of my favorite songs by Fleetwood Mac. It's beautiful. That's it, Carrie. Love to talk about those folks. I think Fleetwood Mac is one of those groups that's so big. Like, I'm trying to think if we've ever really talked about them on the podcast. We take for granted that they exist and haven't ever had reason to get into them, but this was fun. Well, good. Now, do you have any idea what next week's episode is going to be about for a little tease? No, I do not. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll just have to tune in and find out. Anything else, Joe? Nope. That should do it. All right. Well, we will be back next week. So in the meantime, be kind to yourself and to others and uh, stay safe. Yep. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.